Hello and welcome to the Veer, Von Armilla's Veer podcast. I'm Adam Blinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men communicate and build empathy. All right, Albert, I see uh, the, the change behind you. Uh, what once was the, the map room is now, uh, you know, in full decoration. I see the, the tree and some, looks like some scented candles back there. So yeah, looks like actually, you are ready for the season here. <laughs> we got some candles. We also have the little Santa mug and Santa cups from like the 1950s. They're classics. Yeah, we're in holiday mode finally here in the Hudson Valley as, as elsewhere. And uh, yeah, it's starting to get a little festive around here, which is good. And this show will air probably be our last show before uh, the Christmas break and uh, maybe the last show of the year, depending on how things go. So yeah. it's, been, uh, it's been quite a banger. Yeah, this year's I mean, I feel like the last two years have just been like a giant blur of just events and things that have been going on. But yeah, it feels good to like kind of uh, wrap up 2021. Um, I'm very excited for 2022. Um, I think there's going to be a lot more, I think, you know, uniformity and what we kind of expected to, to pre-COVID, but, you know, obviously we'll, we'll see when it happens um, and stuff like that. But for right now, it's like, hey, let's embrace it. Like it's December. Um, Hanukkah is already over. So like, I'm good. Like, <laughs> did, did, you get any, did you get any cool gifts? Uh, no, I, I bought myself, you know, obviously some iron heart. So, uh, oh, you did? Uh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> That's always uh, the thing there, but you know, standard, uh, you know, presents, uh, I feel like Hanukkah and Christmas, like, you know, Hanukkah gets like this, like kind of feel like it's gotta be like eight Christmases, like bangers, like all the time, but it's really like a light holiday. Like it's very chill and relaxed. Like it's like people do presents, but it's not like, you know, the big kind of like fanfare of, of Christmas. It's, it's no kind of like, you know, thoughtful things that people might get, but like, you know, if you're going to give out a couple presents a night, you want to like spread it out and, you know, make, make them kind of count. So I feel like it's a different philosophy behind the present giving. Than, it's than a, Christmas. literally a holiday of lights. That's actually yeah. what it is. Mm -hmm. So well, happy yeah. Hanukkah to you. I didn't actually say Thank that you. to you before when it would have mattered. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> happy belated. Anyway, what, what's a more festive way than to have two of our very favorite people join us exactly on our very special holiday edition of Veer Vulnerabilis Veer? We have uh, Ken and Megan Deichler from uh, the great town of Poughkeepsie, New York. Uh, they're with us on this fine Sunday morning. Ken, uh, famously a fireman, is uh, was up last night. Uh, he was working at the firehouse, got a little bit of sleep, and now joins us this morning and uh, Megan, his wonderful partner in life and wife and uh, all around wonderful person that she is. We're gonna hear from her I, uh, for the first time. You've been on the show before, Megan, or not? I can't remember now. Nope, this is my first time. It's Ken's second time. If you remember, yeah. Ken was on the first time and then uh, you, know, you, you kind of had a little critique of his performance on the show. So we might have to talk about that later. Yeah, well, welcome, Megan. Yeah, it's great officially meeting you here. Um, it was awesome speaking to to Ken prior to this, and you know, catching back up. You know, we definitely have some some things to talk about, but yeah, it's great, great seeing you. It's nice to meet you. So we didn't get properly say that you're um, in the healthcare industry to a certain degree, right? You're a healthcare policy advisor. How would you describe uh, what you do, Megan? Not healthcare industry, but more um, healthcare nonprofit. So I work for a nonprofit called the Catskill Hudson Area Health Education Center. And our focus is on improving and diversifying the health workforce in our 11 county region and the Hudson Valley and Catskills. 
And we're one of nine centers throughout New York State. And these centers, they're throughout the country as well. We're funded by the state and also the federal government. And um, so it's a nonprofit. It's, <laughs> and um, yeah, it, it you know, our, our focus is on encouraging students to consider careers in healthcare, but then also working with um, existing health professionals to understand the needs of our most medically underserved communities. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds Very like cool. serious work. Especially now with all the, the healthcare in there, it's just like, you know, that's in the news and in the newspaper and the, you know, on TV all the time. It's like, you have got to be quite overloaded. I bet there's a lot of things that are going on right now. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's it's such a healthcare crisis. I mean, it was a crisis before COVID, and now it's just so exponentially worse. And we will not recover from this for decades. Um, you know, it's it's a really tough position. It's it's not only you know encouraging people to consider careers in healthcare. It's also just limited capacity at academic institutions for taking on more nurses and, and physicians um, or medical students and nursing students. Um, and so it's really challenging. A lot of uh, healthcare workers are burnt out. They're leaving the industry completely. Um, even just, I mean, we had a doctor's appointment earlier this week um, and the physician was saying just how this major medical system here in the Hudson Valley is struggling right now because they've lost so many healthcare workers to burnout. Um, and not to mention, I mean, early on in the pandemic, there were a lot of healthcare workers who actually died of COVID. So it's it's a worsening crisis. And, um, you know, we're trying to do the best that we can. But I think the issues are larger than just, you know, encouraging people to consider careers in our area. Um, you know, it's, it's very systemic and it's, it's been going on for years and only made worse by COVID. Is it the prohibitive cost of education that makes it an issue? So that's for, for people to pursue this career. Yeah. That's definitely part of it. And, you know, you think to yourself when there's such a need for a certain profession, why would, individuals have to pay out of pocket, um, you know, astronomical tuition fees to go to school. Um, and so I think that that aspect has to definitely be solved. Um, my sister is in nursing school right now, and she will likely come out of nursing school with six-figure student loan debt. Um, it's, it's really you know, unfair and just in, insane that with such a crisis that that we would still burden students and individuals with that kind of debt. Um, but it's also, you know, there just hasn't been enough investment in schools themselves, particularly public schools and um, and community colleges. And so there's a wonderful community college in our region that trains um, exceptional nurses every year, but they have a waiting list with hundreds of students, qualified students on that waiting list. They don't have the support to hire more instructors. They don't have the capacity to bring on any more students. And so, you know, it's it's a very tricky balance. And I think um, as a society, we just, we need to invest in the whole picture and not just, you know, investing in short-term solutions like, um, you know, giving incentives and bonuses to encourage people to come work in a certain area. And then after their term is up, they leave or 
they leave the profession altogether after burnout. I think, um, you know, it's it's going to take a huge um, reckoning just in, in how we've designed our our education, higher education system, and particularly um, higher ed as related to careers that are desperately in need, like healthcare. Well, later on, maybe, you know, we'll connect our listeners with a couple of links to learn more about the, the company that you work for and learn more about what you're doing and how they can encourage um, in their community and in, in any way to become aware of this issue throughout the, you know, especially in the Hudson Valley, our, our lovely uh, neighborhood here, and and uh, take action towards the future because obviously giving people quality careers that serve the, pu- the public's uh, interest so much should not, I agree with you, should not be something that's practically bankrupting people and families. Uh, Kim, what's it like on the fireman side, briefly, before we talk about your relationship, which is what we're going to really <laughs> delve into. Uh, but are there enough firemen out there? What's going on with the firemen? Um, yeah, I mean, there's I, I wouldn't say there's a shortage of people willing to be firefighters. Uh, budgets are the biggest issue, at least for municipalities. Um, and it, it kind of goes back to what Megan deals with. Her organization works in 11 counties in our area. So it's a pretty wide uh, swath of of coverage, um, but rural areas are most impacted because there aren't hospitals close by. There's you know large distances that have to be covered for emergency personnel, not just firefighters, but uh, police officers, uh, EMTs, and paramedics, um, which is another big area of burnout having the the pay that a lot of medics and EMTs deal with when you compare they're they're basically starting the process in the field for nurses and doctors um but the pay scale is completely different so not only do you have burnout on the medical professional field regarding doctors and nurses and PAs etc but you have people with the same burnout making significantly less money uh, my department's a little different and we do on-scene care, but we don't transport. We also are right smack in between two very uh, well-renowned hospitals. So Poughkeepsie itself isn't um, in a medical desert the way other communities are, but even getting medical staff, uh, EMTs and paramedics with the private ambulance companies that are relied upon largely in our area. Um, it's not uncommon to hear dispatches countywide saying that X company doesn't have any units available, Y company doesn't have any units available, and then stripping outside fire departments of their members to staff an ambulance they might have in their quarters to then go to a mutual aid department, which then leaves their um, first due area understaffed for other emergencies like fires or whatever else might come in. So it collectively it's it's a big issue that stems from I mean it it really it reaches into so many different areas and as far as firefighting goes, um there's plenty of people willing to do it, but it all comes down to money, budgets, um and training training just like with nurses and doctors, um, getting people trained for fire academies and EMT classes, 
everybody that I work with is either a firefighter EMT or a firefighter CFR. We don't run paramedics in my department. Um, other departments do, but EMT classes, people to teach those classes, it's getting harder and harder to find the the resources to get the training done that needs to be done for people to stay current. The state is overwhelmed with certifications, um, trying to get stuff mailed out and staying on top of training. It's just, it's really the medical field far and wide in this country is kind of in shambles and it, it really needs to be addressed. Um, we think that we're getting, getting better, but our, our rates of, uh, you know, you know, mortality rates, life expectancy, maternal mortality rates, infant mortality rates compared to the rest of the industrialized world. It's, it's terrible. And we shouldn't be dealing with that in the country we live in, but we are. Oh, we so. could do a really deep dive on just about everything you've just mentioned there. And it's uh, rather systematic and all of it's very related, but, but we want to, we want to turn the focus. We, first of all, we want to thank you both for serving the communities in the way uh, that you do. You're both wonderful people and you give me hope for our future. Um, I want to just very clearly say one of the reasons we, we wanted to have you on the show, because you have some really important and wonderful things to celebrate right now. We want to start with congratulating Megan. And this is really what put the idea to, to have you guys together on the show on her victory in her. Was this your first run at elective office? Yes, it was. And it was a very last minute decision. Our city council member had unexpectedly resigned a month before the primaries back in May. The primaries were in June. And, um, you know, I was encouraged by friends and community members to consider running. And I thought this would be, you know, it's it's just representing a one ward in a small to medium sized city. Um, you know, no big deal. I'll just, you know, throw my hat in the ring. <laughs> And it ended up being a really huge undertaking that took many twists and turns, but um, with the support of so many friends and family members and just random people that I met along the way, uh, we were able to pull off a victory. And you are now then your official title? So, well, come January when I'm sworn in, I will be um, city council member for the eighth ward in the city of Poughkeepsie. And you are the Very first cool. to, to win <laughs> who running on a third party ticket, right? Yes. So because I had joined the race very late, um, I was not able to, I actually did run uh, for the democratic primary as a write-in um, and I lost by nine votes. Um, and so I had to run as a third party and I was told early on that, you know, no one has ever won a race as a third party. This will be extremely difficult. And so, you know, I was preparing for the worst and, and sort of had come to terms with it that, you know, if I didn't win, this was such a last minute thing. It's fine. Um, and I, I surprisingly, I won. <laughs> so um, congratulations. I just think it's yeah. awesome because so many people talk about what's going on in the community and they don't get involved. They barely vote. Never, never mind run for office. So completely take um, our hats off to you. Congratulations. Uh, good for the people of Poughkeepsie. They're very lucky to have you. And we can't wait 
to say that, you know, when you're like the mayor later and, you know, whatever, governor of New York, whatever you do, uh, we're going to be excited to say that your very first uh, podcast interview uh, in elective uh, before elective audit uh, office was with us. Now I wanted to dive, deep dive into the important part. Tell us about how Ken encouraged you. What did he do, practically speaking? What was like the philosophy, philosophical uh, help that he gave you? Like, was were you like really nervous about doing this? And how did you guys work together on making this happen? Yeah, I was extremely nervous, um, especially because, you know, politics right now are so divisive at the national level, but also locally. And, you know, we have many neighbors that um, and people who live around us within this ward um, who I've had nothing but positive interactions with them. And it's just, you know, it's very nerve wracking to sort of put your political beliefs out there publicly and worry that, you know, a neighbor may not agree with you on certain things. And so it was a really vulnerable moment for me. And I'm still trying to get used to it because I know that once I have to vote on certain pieces of legislation, especially legislation that might be controversial, um, I know it's going to become much more difficult. But I think um, initially, you know, Kenny had encouraged me because I was running as a third party and um, I sort of tried to frame it or we tried to frame it a little bit as, um, you know, we're coming into this independent and hopefully won't get flack from either side. Um, but in the end, a lot of people immediately would say, well, how are you registered? What is your political party that you're registered with? Like, how did you vote in the last presidential election? And so I couldn't really run this, you know, I'm just an independent, you know, regular person, not trying to get in the line of fire. Um, so anyway, so that, that was one thing, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think there's so much opportunity in the city of Poughkeepsie. Kenny is so, it was, and is so much more involved than I am just being a city employee. And so him just giving me, you know, like sort of insider information on, on what are the feelings on the ground and within his fire department, but also beyond that, what are the biggest issues? And, you know, there are things that the current council is considering right now that, um, you know, like I, having his on the surface, it seems like, you know, very easy, straightforward issues, you know, to vote one way or another. Um, but having the perspective of individuals that he works with, and again, people in the community that he comes in contact with, um, has helped me to understand certain issues that otherwise sort of, not as an outsider, because I've lived here since 2014, but just not having as much um, involvement, like on the ground level, has been helpful. And, you know, I said to Kenny before I ran, you know, this is going to impact both of us. Um, politicians and their family members and spouses are hated <laughs> equally. Um, and, um, you know, if at any point you don't feel comfortable because you actually work here, you work for, you know, city of Poughkeepsie government, essentially, if at any point, you are not comfortable or, you know, your job is being threatened or you're being harassed or whatever, because I was told that early on, Kenny's job could be, you know, in danger. I know it was very dramatic, but um, if you vote a certain way and piss off the mayor, um, 
And so anyway, you know, I had to just be very careful of that as well. And he said, you know, it's fine. (laughs) Go for it. There's, there's no one else, um, you know, as qualified who could be running to represent us. We haven't had good representation for many years. And the council has been at a gridlock for many years as well. And so bringing someone like me on, you know, we could potentially break that gridlock um, because now we would have a majority of progressive individuals on the council. Um, so I, you know, I'm just, I'm <laughs> grateful to, for Kenny's support because I wouldn't have done it if I didn't have his support um, as anti-feminist as that sounds. And I'm a, I'm a, ve- <laughs> I'm a true, very proud feminist, um, but I couldn't do it if, if I didn't have the support of my partner and vice versa, if he was running and I was not comfortable with it, you know, it would be the same thing. First of all, I just want to say, I only call him Ken and I just think you calling him Kenny is really cute. And I'm going to start calling him Kenny. Um, <laughs> go for it. Wow. That's great. That is amazing. Uh, and, and uh, Ken, I'm just wondering, were you at first, was there some part of you that you hid beneath the surface where you, where you were like wanting to be protective and you actually did not want her to do this? Or did you from the beginning just say, Hey, we're going to, you know, you're going to do this and I'm going to support you all the way. And that's it. Um, I mean, I was definitely supportive. Um, it wasn't so much that I didn't want her to do it. It was more, I don't want anybody to say or do anything or speak poorly about her because I know what she's capable of, where she's coming from and that her heart and mind are in the right place. Um, I can tend to be a little bit protective. Um, I don't like when people say stuff about those that I care about or, you know, try to frame them in a less than stellar light. And if it's, if it's warranted, it's warranted. You have to, you have to be willing to admit when you say or do something that was a misstep, but knowing how politics is right now and knowing how divisive people can be over something just because of a letter next to somebody's name and not what policy is actually going to impact their life. Um, yeah, I was a little hesitant just because I don't want to have to get into, uh, you know, a nasty state trying to, you know, get into a back and forth with somebody if they say something that I don't agree with. Um, But luckily, I know that Megan's coming from the right spot. Um, She doesn't she doesn't leave from her gut. Um, And it's difficult for me sometimes because Megan doesn't argue or go back and forth over emotion. She fights with fact. Um, It's very difficult to win a battle when you want to come from emotion and somebody's just throwing numbers and statistics at you. Um, so I know that when she goes into, uh, into a meeting or has to go to battle over something, she's going to take it from a very, uh, pragmatic standpoint. It's not going to be, well, I don't think this is the right thing. I don't feel that this is the right way to do things. It's going to be, well, the numbers don't lie. The, um, you know, the budget is this, the cost is that. And we have the we have the funds to make it work, and this is going to pay dividends. So we have to make it happen. It's not going to be um, it's not going to be run by emotion, and unfortunately, that's the way a lot of 
politics is run at the moment. It's not what makes sense for constituents or um, even yourself. It's what what you feel is the right thing to do. And sometimes to be a, a leader, you have to not do what you want. You have to do what's right. And I know that Megan, for all intents and purposes, is always looking to do the right thing. So well, definitely our for politics that reason... Are- politics are focused on riling people up that's definitely the approach right now um so i think i think you're absolutely right what you're what, what you're saying there i'm i'm wondering with with um you know everything that happened in the process of, of leading up to the election the actual election you know when they do the hbo series about megan's rise to power her early years i what was the scene that was like the most cinematic like was it the moment she won and you collapse in each other's arms I just want to know what was the moment where you're like, oh my God, this is like one of those iconic moments, like office. And I'm, was there like, what, what, what is like a memory you'll never forget? Well, either one of you just answer that one. I, I think for me, um, you know, I was just so heartened by the support that I had from people who I had never met. And, um, close to the election, I had a cold and just to be extra super safe, I was not um, canvassing or door knocking. And it's so critical to do that, especially locally for small elections like this, you have to meet as many people as possible. And so I was home one night and I think Kenny was working, he wasn't home. And I was just sort of like bummed, like, you know, I hope this doesn't cost me the election, whatever. And somebody came and knocked on my door and they were campaigning for me. And I had never (laughs) met this person before. And she was a volunteer who had been organized with one of the groups that endorsed me. And um, so I think that moment just really, um, you know, it, it just, it, it warmed my heart because, you know, it wasn't just me and Kenny and a few of my friends knocking on doors. Now I had people who I had never met, but, um, had heard about what I was running on who were actually taking time out of their life to, to knock on doors. Um, and then of course, election night was a little anticlimactic. Um, we were in a room with like a bunch of other candidates and they had a, a some you know a projection up on the board with um, all the numbers coming in, and then somebody was just like, "Oh, you just won," and I was like, "Oh, did I?" And <laughs> there were other candidates in the room. It was just, and it was very hot, and we were just packed in there. It, so, you know, it was it was cool, but a little anticlimactic. Other candidates were finding out they were winning as well. So it was just one big like celebration, but some were finding out they were losing. So the mood was kind of up and down. um, Exactly. That was also sad that there were a few candidates who I really respected and and love who lost. And so it's, it was sort of like weird celebrating, but then you have these great people who just lost. It was also just a relief. I mean, the, the, marathon was done it's like crossing that finish line in a sense i mean i saw how much work megan was putting in um and just the hours and phone calls and meetings and just the door knocking alone going every every single door in our neighborhood um and our ward is a pretty sizable one um was knocked on at least once and knowing that she at least she got it she got it done 
had people supporting her and it was finally done. I mean, just again, I was proud and just happy that that stage was set win or lose, just knowing that it was, that part was over, um, was a, was a big relief, but there's still a lot of unknown and a lot of work ahead. So. Well, it sounds like a good Uh, motto. Megan gets it done. (laughs) Well, Albert, you were talking about this, uh, movie scene going on. So I, I also am curious about another scene, uh, in this, you know, hypothetical movie here, uh, before like the, the whole thing happened, you guys, you know, had a really deep conversation about, is this like, are we actually going to go and do this? Like, are we going to, you know, uh, take the dive? So I kind of want to just ask you, like, what did that look like? Like whenever you had that conversation was like at the dinner table, like was it multiple conversations, but like what really went into like, you know, Hey, are we actually going to do this together? Because it's going to be the both of us. Um, was there like a, like a specific meeting? Like, did you set like a zoom <laughs> set that up or was it like, Hey, you know, let's sit down and, and eat and talk about it. But I'm just curious about that. Yeah, we had, um, a few conversations when, when we heard the news that the existing council member resigned, I started getting text messages and phone calls, um, encouraging me to run. And so we had a few conversations and then, um, I spoke with, there was actually, it was at a firefighter event. Um, One of our council members was there who was a real cheerleader for me and and encouraging me to run. And he and I were talking in a corner and he gave me all the details. And then that night, um, you know, I said to Kenny, we kind of have to make a decision soon because there are deadlines coming up and, and, you know, we just decided to go with it. And again, it was, very, you know, just nerve wracking because again, you know, not that I would think that I I would assume that people would know sort of where I align politically, but it's still, it's just such a vulnerable moment, like having to open yourself up like that, um, and not keep your thoughts to yourself. Um, but I'm trying to think, am I missing anything? Like what other conversations did we have, Kenny? Uh, I mean, originally it was kind of just, it started back for the primary. Um, they wanted to get everything in motion because they had to appoint somebody. And like I said, it was a, it was a roller coaster of things didn't pan out the way they were supposed to or expected to in any regard. So it was multiple conversations, multiple yeses, maybes, what about this? We have to plan for that. And it was just really, I was kind of on it from the beginning. Um, I just wanted to make sure that it was the right thing in her mind to do. She's got a lot on her plate already with her career. Um, but yeah, it was mainly just a, uh, eventually a, a final, a final yes or no, it has to be done. The deadlines have to be met and Again, I had support or had faith and was willing to give her the support she needed. So I asked her, do you think that this is something you really want to do? And when she said, I think so, that pretty much sealed the deal for me. So that's that's part of marriage, right? You have to you have to be in one another's corner. If it's something that she wants to do and you are confident that she'll be the right fit, then, you know, you have to you have to be willing to take the, take the punches alongside. So. Right. And I think 
I think one of the last like remaining hesitations before I made the decision to run was a council member who was like a really wonderful advisor to me had said um, we had a meeting, a Zoom meeting, and she sort of gave me like all the dirty, ugly stuff that can and will happen. And she said, you know, when you are voting on certain legislation, you will have people coming to your house, calling your phone nonstop, sending you emails. Um, If you vote uh, in a way that, you know, again, pisses off the mayor, you could find yourself, you know, feeling like Kenny's job could be threatened if you don't vote a certain way. And, you know, being a public um, representative, you have to not only you have to vote on, you know, what's right for the community, but also just have a strong backbone and not feel pressured and swayed when people are knocking down your door and sending you threatening messages. And I didn't think again, at this very local level, that that was something that that was a thing. (laughs) Exactly. But she was saying, you know, there's certain legislation that she you know, there's certain legislation that are just controversial things around the police. She said, I've never voted against the police in any way, but I've had questions. And as a result of just questions, you know, they, people come after you. And so you have to keep that in mind. And I'm, I'm a little worried about that because I think that we will, or we might have to vote on legislation like around vaccine mandates and things like that. And so I'm, you know, bracing myself for it. But, you know, at the end of the day, she said, if you need to just take a hiatus from social media for a week, not look at your email for a week and just keep, you know, your head in line and do the right thing and not feel pressured or threatened. That's what you have to do, unfortunately. Totally. Well, yeah, I mean, sounds like there's going to be some some controversy that that does happen. Um you know, do do you two have like a plan like of like, hey, when things get hot, like this is how we're going to sort it out? Or, you know, is it kind of just like, no. let's play it by ear? <laughs> I mean, there's no there's no way to plan yeah, there's for no what playbook. you don't know. Um, I mean, anybody I'm a firm believer in if you if you base your whole life around planning for everything, you're not spending the time in the moment. Um, you you have a huge part of life in my opinion and i think it just stems from what i do for a living you can't be ready for every scenario you're never going to be prepared for every situation if you can't adapt and think on your feet if you can't pivot um you're going to get knocked out so you you need to you need to stay moving you need to be willing and able to adapt when things don't go as you want or when things don't transpire as you hope. Um, you really, people shine in the moments when things are going at their worst. So you either come out from it or you don't. So if you plan too much, you're just, you're not, you're not paying attention to what's happening at that, at that moment, in my opinion. That is great. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That is really the essence of like mindfulness right there. Um, you know, there's only so much preparation you can do. I mean, obviously your values are going to help you get through times where you're facing unexpected, uh, unexpected challenges. And it's great having, you know, the more you're rooted inside about what matters in life, the, 
the more you're going to be able to react to, to things that come up. I, um, I want to go, go further back, actually. I remember when we interviewed you solo, Ken, you, you talked a lot about Megan's transformative uh, impact on your personality and your life. Now, you're so reasonable to me and you're such a good guy and so solid as a rock that it's hard to imagine that, you know, this idea that before Megan, you were not not the coolest dude or not the nicest guy in the world. Maybe a little cranky around the edges. I'm not sure exactly how to get into it, but I'm just curious. Oh, Megan, I still am. I'm okay. still cranky. <laughs> there you go. But Megan, tell us a little bit about the, the Ken that you met and how different he, is he from the Ken sitting here on our Zoom? And how long ago did you meet Ken? So we were teenagers. Um, we've been dating. Well, I, I think I was actually, I, I think I was 16 or 17 when we started dating and he's a year older than me. But um, I mean, I think that Kenny was typical of many young white men who grow up in rural communities. <laughs> he, um, you know, and it, and it wasn't just him, it, you know, it was me too. I, I'm not white and male, but um, <laughs> just growing up in a rural community, not having a lot of exposure to, to different types of people. And, um, you know, when I went away to college and I was suddenly exposed to so many different types of people from all over the country and all over the world. And I was doing a lot of um, service learning trips through school and just traveling a lot and sort of bringing back that those learnings. Um, and then, you know, of course our friends, our friend groups sort of merging and Kenny becoming friends with my friends and just learning that, you know, there's, there's a world outside of a rural upstate community. And I think beyond that too. And, and by the way, Kenny, I have learned so much from Kenny as well. It's not just, you know, I have transformed Kenny into this <laughs> wonderful person. Kenny has taught me um, also to be a kinder, more empathetic person. Um but I think beyond that, too, you know, it, it, it's no secret that Kenny was also a little bit high strung. <laughs> and, you know, I, I not back then, but but now in the last couple of years, I am a strong believer in mindfulness. I try to meditate every day. I do yoga several days a week. And I don't think that I would be able to manage just so much stress and, you know, with work and the campaign and just all the changing things in our life without it. And so I think we balance each other out really well. And, um, you know, again, you know, Kenny, I I've learned a lot from Kenny as well. <laughs> um, I don't want to make it seem like he was this horrible, cranky person. And now, you know, I transformed him. I, we transformed each other, I would say. And just the travel that we did together, I think um, it made us both more open-minded and, you know, just learning that there is a life beyond our immediate communities, um, particularly the rural communities that we both grew up in. Was there one place you visited that really had like, wow, that was really the place that shook us up? Like what? Because I know you guys have gone to some cool places. Megan's been to a lot more than me. So it was probably on a solo trip, I would imagine. No, I mean, together. And Kenny talked about this in the last episode. And it's so cliche, but Paris was, I mean, we just, 
like we didn't have an agenda. We didn't, if we didn't make it to certain sites, it was fine. We'll come back. We just were wandering. And um, I think one of the best moments of my life and, and probably Kenny's too, was one afternoon we found a little cheese shop um, and we got some cheese and we got a sausage and a bottle of wine and we just sat by the sand. And a baguette. Don't forget and the a baguette. baguette. The most quintessential part that of being That is the Parisian experience. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and we just sat down by the Seine and watched the boats go by and school children. And we had no agenda that day just to sit there and drink wine and eat cheese. And it, it was just incredible. Reflect. I remember seeing a picture of you um, with a baguette at the Seine in your feed. Ken, I think you posted that was a it. That was that was the spot. The yeah, time. I don't think Megan was in that picture, but please go dig up. She a took picture. the picture. Okay, she took the picture. <laughs> Is there a picture of the two of you on the sand? Because we need a picture to promote this episode. And I think you and you guys in Paris is what we want. We'll um, have to go back. We don't so, know. I mean, I definitely have the photos. Whether or not I have a picture of both of us in that moment, I don't know. But was it one continuous march to marriage from teens to like you guys? Uh, spend time apart and then came back together or did you go right from in love and in the teens and then eventually now you're you've been together what 15 years how long we've been married for five years um but we've been together yeah close to 15 so you went the whole time there was no breakup you guys went from teens you powered on into into your young 30s well when we first met each other we really didn't like one another so Really? Yeah, I mean, we we met each other before we started dating. Uh, we had a class together, and we I think both drove one another a little crazy, but we got past that. I like to think. <laughs> one detail, please. Can you give one example of like what what happened? But you just looked and went, "No, we're not. We're not going to get to know each other." Do you have an example? I just I guess I was talkative in class and. <laughs> Kenny was just a little bit grumpy. And so anyway, just we, we just, <laughs> yeah, we didn't get along the first year that we knew each other in high school. We really did not like each other. And I always say, if I could go back in a time machine and tell my 15 year old self, you're going to marry that guy. I would have been like, no way you've got it wrong. Anyone <laughs> but him. <laughs> She would have been scared. She would have been like terrified and probably nothing would have transpired. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Popping back over to you about this transformational impact of Megan, just very briefly recap one or two things that no way would that be part of you without Megan? Uh, I think just now make no mistake. I have a long, I have a long journey ahead of me yet. Um, I still tend to dwell on insignificant things that shouldn't bother me, but do. Um, I can deal with, with catastrophe better than I can deal with little inconvenience sometimes. Um, so my temper definitely could always use work. I think that will be a constant, uh, goal is to just get better and better. Um, so definitely dealing with issues, um, not letting things, bother me as much as I would typically let them. She tends to talk me down and, you know, remind me like it's insignificant. It's not you're you're letting it ruin your day that nobody did anything intentionally to 
you know, piss you off. You're allowing that to happen. So just talking me through and teaching me that, you know, at the end of the day, everybody is looking to do the same thing. You got, you, you need to focus on what you're doing, not what somebody else is doing. They didn't do anything to you intentionally to, to upset you or bother you. It was just a, a byproduct essentially. So I think being more uh, reasonable, um, not flying off the handle at stupid things. She's definitely made me better about that. And like I said, I'll, I'll forever be trying to be better and better and better day by day. Um, but just, you know, she taught me empathy and, and to look at it from a different perspective. So easier said than done most days, but I always have it in the back of my mind now that, you know, even in my worst day, I've got a lot better than quite a few other people. So right on. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems that you two complement each other so well. It's just nice to kind of sit back and, and hear it. So I'm just over here with smiles like, yeah, like this is a great relationship and I'm, I'm really happy for you. Um, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be intense um, over the next little bit uh, with, with all of the, the politics involved. So uh, I'm just wishing you a, a very easeful uh, time and hopefully uh, not so many controversial votes uh, coming up first. <laughs> What's amazing is the the news of uh, starting her new job in January as a council member. That's like the small news. There's a, some, some even bigger news that uh, I'm not sure how much you shared it, but uh, um, they're going to have their first child early what? in 2022. Did I can't remember if we told you that, Adam. No. Yeah. I think oh, that was, shoot. yeah, I was like, <laughs> That's I thought one. that was on the agenda, but I was like, what? I, we didn't really like chat about that, yes. but that's so cool. Well, Adam, as we know, has two, two young boys. And yep. when are you expecting the child? April 4th, 2022. And we, we found out recently that it's a girl. So we're, we're excited. I mean, it is a little bit overwhelming. Um, Daunting. Yeah, a lot (laughs) happening at once. But the way that I think about it, and Adam, with your experience, will probably be like, keep thinking that now, wait till the baby comes. (laughs) I think of it almost like, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a little bit overwhelming, but I'm just so excited. And I feel like it's almost like, you have, you know, you have a gift, like a present that's coming. And it's just like, you know, I don't feel a lot of friends have asked me, you know, these are your last few months of freedom and relish them. And I'm like, that's not the way that I look at it. It's I'm looking forward to this, this present present in quotes that is coming. And, um, I'm just, I'm really excited. And I think, um, you know, I think Kenny's going to be a wonderful father and (laughs) I'm just, I'm, I'm really, it's just been a really nerve wracking, but also exciting uh, process. I, I agree. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about having a little girl. Uh, I had a feeling we were going to have a little girl pretty much from day one. Um, I based that on absolutely nothing, but I guess, but, um, I mean, I'm, I'm super excited about having a little girl and seeing her follow her mother's footsteps and be another strong, um, voice for, for women. I want to, teacher that whatever she wants to do is is a possibility and 
luckily I've got enough hobbies where I should be able to at least share something I hope um, that we can do together. So uh, I'm just really excited about hopefully being the best parent I can be. Um, I don't think I'll ever be the best parent period, um, but I can strive to be the best I'm capable of. And I think with Megan and I collectively, we should at least have a good crack at it. Oh yeah. You guys are going to crush it. And just one other thing I wanted to say is that, you know, I'm grateful for things like this podcast, um, because, you know, one thing that is, you know, I'm happy that we're having a girl, et cetera, but, um, you know, it's, it's worrying to think about just all the things that could go wrong. And I, you know, we were talking about just even, you know, relationship, like when she's older and and getting into relationships and, you know, going to school with boys and young men. And I'm grateful to podcasts like this because I think that we're changing a generation of people. And I don't necessarily think that, I, th- I think the future, the current generation, what is it, gen- generation Z or I, I don't yeah. even know what they're called and and eventually this child's generation showing your age i think (laughs) the whippersnappers i think that people but but boys in particular are being taught now more than ever to be um thoughtful and empathetic and you know i just like my biggest worry is always just what other children can do to our child and um you know, I just, I appreciate this podcast and, and many others who are having these conversations about, um, you know, men's vulnerability and and building empathy because, um, you know, it's just, it's so important and it, it makes me a little bit less worried about the future generation and, you know, what she'll have to deal with, with, you know, in relationships and, and that sort of thing. Wow. Oh yeah. <laughs> I have to say, well, having, we get, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Adam. Yeah. Sorry. I just want to jump in here, but like, yeah, just when you said relationships, like growing up, I was just thinking like, I haven't thought about my kids in dating um, or like even having a conversation about that. But uh, I do know that any conversation I do have is uh, net positive because that wasn't a conversation growing up that I had was, you know, like, respecting women, like how to like really like emotionally connect with them and how to, you know, I mean, like being a gentleman was like, you know, a part of it, but like really when it comes down to it, um, it was like building a relationship as like, you know, a teenager, um, is, is pretty tough. And like, you know, very few times that like, you know, it really kind of, uh, stays together 15 years, you know, like I can, think of like my you know high school girlfriends and I'm just like yeah no like I would never <laughs> like that would never work now um but yeah just like I think the the future generation of kids are going to have a lot more conversations about how to emotionally connect to people how to uh have responsible sexual relations like you know how to really like you know be in touch with your emotions and how it affects other people like that's a big conversation that you know our, you know, parenting, you know, kind of age group has, because, you know, for me, like that wasn't really part of the, the growing up culture, uh, kids culture, especially much like Ken, you know, rural white, you know, sports and beer and football, like that's, that's my town. Um, so it very, 
very different way to kind of uh, see those things. So I'm just, I'm excited that, you know, there's going to be someone else brought into this world that's going to have those kind of conversations had and very consciously as well. So I thank you for bringing another life into this world. It's going to be great. We're excited for sure. One day, one day their uh, daughter is going to be hanging out and meeting your sons, Adam. <laughs> at the, at the big well Veer, Vulnerabilis Veer, uh, 10th anniversary party or something like that. We'll have to invent an occasion. It'll be going to be a gala thing. knowing you. You're yeah. going <laughs> to have to have another reason to wear that white uh that white suit you talk so much about. <laughs> <laughs> I do want the white dinner jacket. I really want that look. Do it. Do it up. Well, that's my plan for my 60th birthday, which if I have, I mean, whether I have it in the Hudson Valley or not in the Hudson Valley for my birthday party, I so want you guys there. Um, meeting you through Instagram was just an absolute gift. Um, talk about gifts. Um, Ken, I mean, I remember reaching out to you because you were like one of the first dudes that in, in my feed that was from the Hudson Valley. And I wanted to I wanted to connect with you. And then I met Megan and I was like, oh, my God, she is incredible and beautiful and wonderful in every way. And uh, I felt so blessed to know both of you. And we really appreciate the support um, that you've given for the podcast. I mean, you've been enthusiastic about the podcast. Ken would call me and I'm like, hey, if Fireman Ken's digging this podcast, then we're doing something right. Uh, so that was encouraging at the beginning. But we've become genuinely like really like family. And, uh, you know, at this holiday time of year, having you guys just 50 minutes away in Poughkeepsie, you know, the Hudson Valley now feels more like a real extended family to me than, than it did the, the previous time before I knew you guys. So um, anyway, we, we know the shows that go about this length of time are the ones that people prefer in terms of uh, time commitment. But is there anything, Christmas, anything else you guys want to say to each other? To uh, to listeners, anything? Uh, not to put you on the spot with the final closing moments, but here's your moment before we sign off to say something else. I just, I think, um, I think what you guys are doing is important. Um, Megan definitely helped, like we've talked about, me growing up and and being a better person. Um, but I like, I imagine I wouldn't need to do so much work at this stage of my life if I knew early on that it was okay to not be happy with who you were. Um, I think a lot of the lashing out or meanness that was in me when I was young um, that I pushed off onto other people was due to not being happy with who I was. Um, and knowing that now as a 32, soon to be 33 year old, um, it seems simple, but talking about this stuff now, um, letting other men know that it's okay to be vulnerable and talk about what you're feeling and what you're going through. That's how you start to decode, um, the issues and work through them. So hopefully, you know, for our daughter's sake and every other person out there sake over time, will you don't have to lay everything out all the time but just knowing that if you need help or you're not happy with where you are it's okay to to look for change or ask for help and try to try to change stuff for the better and not lash out or push your problems off on somebody else well said thank you yeah amen ken beautiful megan last word for you i have nothing much to add other than again i'm grateful for 
this podcast. I'm grateful for our friendship with you, Albert. Um, and yeah, just trying to remind myself um, during this holiday season, but even beyond um, just to be, you know, to, to show gratitude and, and remind myself that, you know, we, we have a lot of, despite problems and, you know, things, we have a lot to be grateful for. And um, yeah, <laughs> thank you for having us. Hi, you're very welcome. Well, yeah, it's been a pleasure uh, meeting you, Megan, and, and seeing you again, Ken. Um, you know, at the heart of this podcast, it is a lot of, of what you said is, you know, working on yourself, accepting for, for yourself for where you are right now, but also being able to, to deal with complicated emotions and make a strive every day. So uh, there's more than, uh, you know, the three people on this show that have, have felt those emotions before. And that's, that's why we want to do it. So for me, I just want to end with um, a very happy holidays um, to everyone and, and a happy new year. Uh, I hope that you all celebrate with the people that you love and you have a, a great time. Um, so that's it for me. Albert, you want to say some, some good tidings here? Honestly, just not, you know, it's, you talk about gratitude, every, everything that you guys just summed up with, I could, I second what you said, um, you know, just in every, every moment, um, you know, if we can just clear out the noise, there's the sweet, the sweet music of life right there, really that's happening. And nothing is sweeter than the music of friendship and love. And, uh, I've just feel beyond blessed, uh, to have you, the three of you, in my life, people I've met through the podcast, and I, I hope we could continue to grow and, and grow a network, really a, a network of people who are just there for each other and supporting each other. And I, I, I think it's, uh, it's um, something that's happening and something that will continue to happen if we just keep being there for each other. So that, that's basically it. Happy holidays, my sweet friends. I'm going to get a little choked <laughs> up and teary if we continue to talk. So All I'm right. going to just shut Well, up. happy holidays, guys. And, you know, blessings and good health and we'll uh we'll stay in touch and continue this conversation off air absolutely well this has been another episode of the veer vulnerabilis veer podcast i'm adam blinsky i'm albert imperato i'm ken deichler i'm megan deichler thank you for listening 